And welcome to Red Rocks in the final week of this mental health series called Attacking Anxiety. And I, it's been my prayer that this series has been two things for all of us. Number one, that it has acknowledged this very real conversation about anxiety and depression and validated that for you, that you're not crazy and you're not as alone as you thought you were and you fit in just fine at this church and there's nothing wrong with you and Jesus loves you exactly the way you are with all you got going on between those two ears. And number two, that because of Jesus, You are not doomed to just deal with depression and be attacked by anxiety for the rest of your life. That you can take a stand on the word of God and that it might be a process and it might be a journey full of a thousand battles. But joy and peace and hope are promises that are so possible for you because of our God. Amen. Hey, welcome to Red Rocks. Um, I'm just, I love Sundays, man. It's my favorite day of the week. I'm honored to be one of your pastors, and I hope that this series has meant as much to you as it has to me. Um, Just so you know, every time we're like, what should we preach about? What do we need? That's what we ask, and then that's what we preach about, and turns out we all are dealing with the exact same stuff, and I'm telling you that because of Jesus, you've been set free, and, and now it's time to learn how to live free. Amen. All right, take a seat. Welcome to the final week of Attacking Anxiety. Welcome to Red Rocks Church. Welcome home. I want to read for you a passage out of Revelation chapter 5. Who saw that coming? And who's got an actual paper Bible in here? Can I see you? Oh, come on. There we go. Yes, come on. Mine's glowing, uh, so I can't raise my hand, but... I'm proud of all of you. Go to Revelation chapter five. I wanna set up this scene really quick so we understand what we're about to read. Revelation, first of all, Revelation, not Revelations. Revelation is a vision that John gets while he is stranded on a beach on an island called Patmos. And Revelation is an apocalyptic portrayal of the end times depicted through symbolic imagery and numbers. And I cannot say this loud enough. It is not a code to be cracked. It is first and foremost a letter that John wrote to seven specific first century churches. And while it has a lot to say to us, it cannot mean for us what it did not mean for them. And in this vision, John gets invited into the throne room of heaven. Imagine this. He walks into this room, and at the center of this room, there's a throne, and the throne is where the presence of God is. And the Bible describes it as having the appearance of jasper and ruby and and flashing like lightning and rumbling like thunder and surrounded by this sea that looks like glass crystal. And encircling the throne are 24 other thrones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles along with these four creatures or beasts that the Bible says are are covered with eyes and wings and one of them has the face of a 
lion, and one of them has the face of an eagle, and one has the face of an oxen, and one has the face of a man, and these creatures are joining in with the 12 elders sitting on those other thrones and joining in with 10,000 times 10,000 angels and the rest of creation, all echoing, holy is the Lord. And in this moment, all attention and affection and power and authority to the far reaches of the universe are all being given to this throne at the center of this room. And on this throne sits God the Father, and he holds in his hand this scroll that is wrapped and closed and sealed with seven seals. And in this scroll contains a vision for how Jesus will once and for all permanently usher in the kingdom of heaven. And John, imagine being John. He gets caught up in the moment and caught up in the power of God's presence and he starts crying because he looks around this throne room and of everybody and everything that's present, John sees nobody with the kingdom clout to open the scroll. And we pick it up in verse chapter five. Then one of the elders said to me, John, do not weep. Stop crying. See the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, also called the root of David, has triumphed. And he is here and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse six, then, and really quick, bear in mind, he's looking at the lion and then says this, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne and circled by the four living creatures and the elders from the 24 other thrones. And the lamb had seven horns and bear in mind, seven being the biblical number of perfection. Remember the, the imagery of revelation and what we're reading with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God that are sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders and 10,000 times 10,000 angels and the rest of creation fall down before the Lamb of God. And the Bible goes on to say they all start singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So in walks the lion and yet he gets called the lamb. Jesus is one king with two faces. Jesus is both the conquering lion and the suffering lamb. And Jesus will at times speak to you as the lion who has conquered death and evil and the grave and sin itself. And Jesus will also at times speak to you as the lamb who laid his life down for the world. And our invitation is to see and know Jesus as both. And I really think this is gonna be helpful today. And I wanna call this message, Two Faces to Focus On. One King with Two Faces to Focus On. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge what's happening in your throne room right now and that you're not just there, but you're here. So have your way and speak to us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.
Well, church, at any given moment, you get to choose what it is that you focus on. And this is important because we tend to move towards the things that we are focused on. And by the way, nowhere is this more true than in golf, okay? In golf, you can walk up to the, to the number one tee and stand over the ball that you're about to hit, pull out your driver, and you have the option of two different mindsets. The first mindset is hit this thing straight, right down the fairway, hit this thing straight. The second mindset is like it, but in a lot of ways, it's, no, it's nothing like it. And the second mindset is this, please, God, don't slice this thing. Please do not let me shank this, okay? They're similar, but they're also not. And you can just ask Ethan. You can be a mediocre golfer, and yet you can, you can stand over your golf ball, and if you believe this thing's going straight, way more often than not, you actually hit it straight, but you can also stand over that golf ball, and it's crazy, and, and this is a hypothetical situation. It's not like this happened two months ago, but if you're on the number one tee and 45-degree angle to your right about 100 yards out on the fairway of another hole, there's a guy standing there, and you're thinking, my ball, if I hit a bad shot, could so easily kill this guy, and you're thinking, please don't let me hit that guy. Please don't let me hit, I, I swear his golf cart becomes a magnet for your golf ball. Why? Because we tend to move towards whatever it is that we are focusing on, even if we're focusing on not going that way. Golf is all about focus. So is love, by the way. So is love. And uh, this is for free just because I'm an expert. <clears throat> but if you're single and looking to mingle, are you focused on finding the right person or are you focused on becoming the right person? If you're engaged, are you focused on planning the most amazing wedding or are you focused on planning the most amazing marriage? If you're married, are you focused on everything your spouse is bad at <laughs> or everything they're good at? This is why I say in every wedding I officiate, become experts, not in each other's weaknesses, which by the way is a cheap gift and skill, but rather each other's strengths. Are you focused on what they're not or are you focused on what they, what they got, amen? Because what you focus on, you magnify and what you magnify, you make, you make more of. See, my wife, she, she understands this. She's got this figured out because I'm so bad at so much stuff and good at just a few things and she chooses to focus in on the few things that I am good at. So when we moved into our new home, uh, after watching an HGTV marathon, I, I shiplapped a wall in our house. I, I thought, hey, we're Texans now. Apparently, I I we need a shiplap wall in our house, okay? And so I did it, and she looked at me with googly eyes like I was Chris Hemsworth and Chip Gaines all rolled into one. I mean, she magnified me, like I felt so big and so awesome in that moment. I mean, she said, babe, you shiplapping that wall is the sexiest thing I have ever seen. And fast forward three years later, we now have nine shiplapped walls <laughs> and every other wall that's not shiplapped is painted. 
I built for her a shiplap fireplace with a, with a custom-made mantle. She's got a custom shoe shelf in her closet now. I'm hanging trendy chandeliers from World Market all over the place. Our backyard is landscaped with a patio and these rope lights and a DIY herb garden, all because my wife decided to focus in on one thing that I was actually good at. And when you focus on something, you magnify it. What you magnify, you make more of. Imagine for a second you're trying to, to quit smoking. And let's say you, you're really focused on not smoking. Mm, don't smoke! Don't smoke. Don't smoke. Your focus is still on smoking, right? And you might be willpowering your way to some success but even if you're focused on not doing it, you're still focused over here. When real freedom comes, when you focus something better and magnify something else. And right there in lies the one problem with focusing on attacking anxiety. Because even if you're focused on attacking it, you're still focused on it. Die depression, die anxiety. And I'm not saying there's not wisdom to that, there is. And I'm not saying that's not noble, it is. I'm just saying it's still, it's still your, your focus. And you will find more of whatever you're focusing on. What does the Bible say? Knock and the door will be answered. Seek and you will find. Well, I'm telling you that's true for Jesus and depression. That's true for reasons to believe and it's true for reasons to doubt. I'm not sure who needs to hear this. You didn't lose Jesus, you just lost focus. He's still here, still loves you, still drawing close to you, still has more for you, a plan, an invitation he's inviting you into. You don't have a God abandoned you problem. You don't have a Holy Spirit left me here to struggle with A, B, and C for the rest of my life. You don't have a, a God is mad at me problem. You have a focus problem. And it's only once you learn to give the fullness of your attention and affection to God and fix your focus on the freedom for which you've been set free that you will actually start to live free. What I'm trying to say is the best, most effective way to attack anxiety is actually not to focus on it at all, but rather focus on the prince of peace. That's why today, I wanna give you two faces to focus on and make this tangible. Like you can see this and smell this and hear this and feel this. Because sometimes you'll come to church and the preacher will say, you seem to focus on God, guys. So just go focus on God. And you're like, okay. Uh, it's like trying to focus on Wi-Fi. I'm trying, but... I, I, that sounds right, I, I should probably, but this is idealistic, but vague and ethereal. And just have more faith, okay, I'm trying. So I wanna get specific and give you two faces to focus on. Jesus is the conquering lion and Jesus is also the suffering lamb and you need to know him as both because there are churches and denominations that are founded completely and only on knowing Jesus as the conquering lion and the victorious spirit of celebration that comes with that. And that's right, but it's incomplete. And then we got churches and denominations and movements founded only on knowing Jesus as the suffering lamb. And once again, that's right, but it's also incomplete. Like many of the aspects with this 
mystery of the God of the universe whose ways and thoughts are higher than ours. This is not an either or situation. And we need to learn how to to see both and stand in the tension that Jesus is the lion who on Sunday walked out of his tomb having conquered death through whom you can do all things and he will oftentimes draw near to you and speak to you as the conquering lion and sometimes Jesus will also draw near to you and speak to you as the suffering lamb who the Friday before was crucified and counts every tear you've ever cried and is so familiar with all of your pain. Jesus is both. So today I want to help you magnify Jesus in your life. We've been saying this is not to minimize your stuff because you got your stuff and you're going through it. This is to maximize your God, to magnify your God, and you want your God magnified. The more maximized and magnified your God is, the more you will walk in this peace, freedom, and joy that is rightfully yours by the blood of Jesus Christ. What you focus on, you will magnify. What you magnify, you will make more of. So one of my favorite Jesus stories of all time is is in John chapter eight. And if you, you grew up in church, you probably have heard the story of the woman caught in adultery. So the Jews, God's chosen people, are, are celebrating a religious festival called the Feast of Tabernacles, where, where Jews from all over make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the fact that God still dwells, aka tabernacles, among his people. And they set up tents and they, they party for seven days. Amen? Now, here's my question. What happens when human beings party and get intoxicated in close quarters in tents sleeping near each other? It's not a trick question. I was trying to think of the churchy way to say some of them hook up, but that's just, it is what it is. That's what happens in this story. And the final morning of the festival, this woman is caught in the act of adultery. Think about how awkward this scene is. She's caught in the act and she's dragged out of her tent and thrown onto the dirt in front of an angry mob of religious scribes and Pharisees who are holding rocks and want to stone her according to the Mosaic law. And really quick, I wanna say this, you will never have religious stones thrown at you at Red Rocks. Your friends, your coworkers, your family that you invite here, We will never throw religious stones. Now, we might preach truth corresponding to the word of God that you disagree with, but that's not the same because we will never do that without first even more boldly proclaiming the amazing grace of this God that all of us desperately need. We are all on the same boat with each other, which is why I can tell you With confidence, there are no second-class citizens at this church. The gospel does not leave space for that. You're not crashing this party. You are the guest of honor at this party every week. And I don't have to even know you or know your story or know where you've been or what you've done or what you believe to know that. Why? Because I know Jesus and I know what he thinks about you. And even more important, I know what he's already done for you. Because while human beings are obsessed with the behavior of other human beings. Jesus is obsessed 
with the backstory behind that behavior because every behavior has a backstory. Exhibit A, this woman. I mean, you don't, you don't end up in her situation doing what she was doing the final morning of a religious festival unless you are walking with a significant amount of pain in your life, unless you are experiencing a lot of confusion about who you are and who God is, if there even is a God and what he believes and thinks about you. She was never a little girl dreaming about this moment. Nobody ever plans on becoming a drug addict. Nobody aspires to have an affair or, or get a divorce. Nobody crosses their fingers and just hopes, man, maybe one day I'll have anxiety or depression or struggle with a mental illness or suicidal thoughts. No, every behavior has a backstory, which Jesus obsessed over, which is why, by the way, there's not a soul you can't learn to love if you took the time to get to know their story. So Jesus walks in on the scene, into the middle, and he kneels down between this woman and this angry mob. And the Bible says he starts just doodling in the dirt. And nobody really knows exactly what he was drawing in the dirt, but the scribes and Pharisees speak up and they say, Jesus, she was caught in the very act. The Mosaic law demands that such should be stoned. So what do you say, Jesus? And he just keeps drawing. So he's officially ignoring them. And he looks over at this woman. And I don't think he can look at her with a frown on his face. And it's important to note that God is not shocked by your sin. I don't know who else needs that. I need that. That's good news for me. I'm one of the pastors, so I'll go first here. You guys, I love Jesus with my whole heart. And my promise to you is I will give this pastor gig everything that I got, but I will not be perfect. I will be far from it. And this church will fail you and let you down if it hasn't yet. You did not find the perfect church today. And spoiler alert, even if you left in the search of one, you're never gonna find it because this is imperfect people being led by imperfect people. But Jesus, somebody say, but Jesus. Jesus, but Jesus is the perfect and unblemished lamb who suffered and was slain for those imperfections. And because of that, God has never looked at your sin or your struggles and wiped the sweat off his divine forehead and thought, oh my, me, <laughs> like I am, I'm all knowing and this, this stumps me, I, I saw this coming and yet I didn't. <laughs> That's never, I mean, Christians maybe have made you feel that way. Maybe a church has too, but not Jesus. And I think so many of you not only would be so less anxious, but you would also start enjoying your life a lot more if you could get into your spirit this revelation of truth that not only is God not mad at you, he actually adores you. And not only does God love you, but he actually likes you and is for you, I think so much anxiety would start to melt away and you would just enjoy him more. And by the way, did you know he is more glorified the more we enjoy him? Because what I see here in this scene is the way of the lamb. Jesus is the God who 
put on skin and bone and came to this planet not just to save the planet, but even more so than that, to live the entire human experience from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Which means, and this is so key, you have a God who is not just aware of your pain. You have a God who empathizes with your pain. A high priest who knows that feeling. He has been called the man of sorrows, the lamb who is familiar with suffering. Jesus had a panic attack in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus mourned and grieved after watching friends die. It's most likely that Jesus had to bury his earthly dad, Joseph. Jesus was rejected by his hometown. He was abandoned and deserted by his best friends in his moment of need. Jesus has felt and experienced physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental pain. He is the suffering lamb who never defended himself, never sought to be understood, always turned the other cheek and washed Judas's feet. Which means if you are mourning the loss of a loved one right now, you need to focus on the lamb of God who knows that pain. And if you are struggling with a a mental illness and just see no end in sight, you need to focus on the Lamb of God who draws near to you in your pain. If you feel lonely or abandoned, you need to focus on the Lamb of God who knows what rejection feels like at levels that we can't even fathom. The God who came to this planet and paid the ultimate price for perhaps billions of people who may never care means if you just receive the diagnosis and it's, it's worse than you thought that you need to start magnifying the lamb of God who is with you in the storm, who is with you in the valley, who is with you in your darkest moment, who can relate to you. That means if you have a panic attack later this week, you need to give your attention to the Jesus who sweat blood in the garden because whatever you focus on, you magnify and what you magnify, you make more of. And I'm telling you, there is nothing you could ever go through that the Lamb of God could not meet with you right smack in the middle of. There's nothing you've ever done or ever will do that the Lamb of God will, will, cannot redeem. Like you're not the one person who has shocked God with your ability to, to mess up or fall short or sin. Like you're not that good, even at messing up. Even if you, even if you get caught in the act of adultery, during a religious festival and dragged out of your tent and everybody sees it. I mean, it doesn't get much worse. It doesn't get much worse than that. There is nothing you could ever do. You cannot outsend the grace of the perfectly unblemished yet willingly slain lamb of God. It was the suffering lamb who, who knelt down to meet and comfort this woman right where she was at. And then it was the conquering lion who stood up to defend her against an angry mob of scribes and Pharisees that wanted to stone her to death. So if you're in a season where you're just fighting a battle that you cannot fight on your own and you need God to fight for you, then you need to start magnifying and focusing on the conquering lion who the Bible says makes Satan his footstool. 
And if you're being bombarded with lies from the enemy, whispering voices into your ears saying, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you don't have what it takes, the best is behind you, you're never gonna be healed, you're all alone, you're crazy, it's always gonna be this way, that you need to start giving your focus to Jesus and start magnifying the conquering lion whose very name sends shivers and shudders and trembles down the spines of whatever darkness just so happens to be in the room. That's why Proverbs all over the place will say the fear of God, aka the reverence of the lion is the beginning of truth, knowledge, wisdom, and freedom. Reverence. I was on a safari a few years ago. And when you're on a safari, um, so much fun. And you want to see all the animals you see in the Lion King and driving around all day with our tour guide and in the back of a truck and there's a giraffe, oh my gosh, you know? It's an antelope, <laughs> zebra in person right there. It's elephants, there's a baby elephant, oh my gosh, right? But more than anything, what you wanna see is a lion. It's rare to see a lion in the wild. We hadn't all day until there was about 15 minutes left in the safari, it was evening, the sun was going down and we rounded this corner around this brush and right there about 30 feet away were two fully grown male lions. I'll never forget that feeling of like making eye contact, locking eyes with one of the lions and realizing like, there's nothing between me and this lion. Like, can't he just come over here and eat me? Are we really doing this? And I remember the instructor the whole time never took his eyes off the lions, even when talking to us and said, do you wanna go? And everybody said, not a chance. Because fear and reverence, horrifyingly majestic feeling, kind of like standing in front of the ocean or the mountains, absolutely. But at the same time, there is no place you would rather be. So when I say the fear of God, I don't mean abuse. I mean this thing that is so mighty and powerful that could kill me like that, snapping his finger and yet loves me and draws close to me. Revering the lion is the beginning of freedom for you. Because what is anxiety? Anxiety is rooted in fear and fear is real. So just assign it in the right direction. Fear the lion, revere God. Don't fear death, fear the one who has conquered death. Don't fear your future, fear the lion who is already in your future. And like the Pacific Ocean or the Rocky Mountains, stand before the conquering lion with this awe-inspiring feeling that something this horrifyingly majestic and mighty and worthy and awesome not only exists, but fights for me and loves me and knows me intimately and draws near to me. He is the lion and he is not safe, but he's king and he's good. And you need to know Jesus as both the suffering lion and a suffering lamb, sorry, and the conquering lion. So team, you can come up and I, I have some news to share with you guys um, about 
our global senior pastor of all of Red Rocks Church. His name is Sean Johnson. I think a lot of you know who he is. He was here preaching back in December, but if you don't, um, you're part of a much bigger story than just Austin. This thing started 17 years ago in Denver, and if you like this church, this came straight from the heart of Sean um, and his willingness and to lay down all control and just find a couple of guys and say, guys, go. Bring this culture to another city. I got your back. What do you need? Resources, wisdom, whatever you need, I got you. That's the heart of Sean. And he's my pastor, my boss, and one of my best friends. And um, it's interesting timing that he's writing this book, Attacking Anxiety, because he's not just preaching this, like he's living this. Um, He's smoking what he's selling. You know what I mean? Because for about, been there, done that. I heard that. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) Uh, For about six months now, Sean has had limited mobility in his left hand and left arm. And after a lot of opinions and a few MRIs, he's had multiple doctors diagnose him with a degenerative brain disease. So... In other words, his brain is sick, and it definitely falls beneath the category of Parkinson's. Could be something uh, else that's worse. Um, Sean's 50. He's one of the strongest guys that I know. He, he's a fighter. He's got the ultimate circle around him that you could ever ask for. He just started medication, and what he needs is that medication to work because this is crazy to say, but that means it's only Parkinson's. So I tell you that to ask you to pray for him, that the medication works. But then, and, and he, he said this two weeks ago on YouTube in a sermon called It's Time to, to Fight Back, if you wanna go watch it. Um, if he were here, he'd tell you not to worry, but just to pray. And, that, and, and I'll say this too, I, I'm so sad, but I have this weird peace unexplainable confidence and peace about him and about the future of this church. God is just getting started with the story he's writing with all of Red Rocks and obviously praying ultimately for a miraculous healing and I believe God can do that. But um, Sean, is he'll say, some days I feel like a spiritual giant and I believe God's gonna heal me tonight. And then the very next day, I'll feel like I have zero faith and I'll feel like, am I... Am I even a good Christian or a pastor? Isn't this the moment where I should have it? And Pray, but don't worry. Here's what I can tell you about Sean. He knows Jesus as both the suffering lamb and the conquering lion. Because if you're in a moment like that, where the diagnosis comes in, or you lose a loved one, or... You get that phone call in the middle of the night that changes the trajectory of your life and you only know Jesus as the conquering lion with ultimate victory. You're gonna be very confused about life in that moment. You need to know Jesus as the lamb who was familiar with what it means to suffer and be in pain, who's not just aware of what you're going through, but empathizes with it and can draw near to you. You need to know Jesus as the suffering lion. And yet at the very same time, if all you know is Jesus, I'm sorry, the suffering lamb, and if all all you know him is, is that, you're also gonna be very confused. Because isn't the kingdom of heaven here? 
and, and by his stripes, and, and aren't I not healed in this life or in the next? Does, does, does God have me? Is the enemy winning? And if you don't know Jesus as the conquering lion, you will be tempted to much like this woman, stay on the ground where you're at. Because, because Jesus was the suffering lamb for her that met her at her level. And he was the conquering lion who fought off these men with rocks in their hands. But make no mistake about it, he was also the lamb who laid his life down for the eternities of all the scribes and Pharisees who were there that day. And he was also the conquering lion who said, I love you where you're at, but we're not staying here. Now get up and go and leave your life of sin because I've got so much more for you. And it might be a battle and a process and a journey, but peace, joy, and hope are rightfully yours by the blood of Jesus. And it's time to take a stand on the word of God. Amen. Jesus is the conquering lion and the suffering lamb. I'm here to tell you, Sean knows him as both. You need to know the two faces of your one king, Jesus Christ. I see it when he was hanging on that cross in the final moments of his life after he spent six hours getting beaten and tortured and, and made fun of and spat on and mocked. And, and now he, they crucify him and, and he's praying for his crucifiers. I mean, this is the suffering lamb. How successful does a kingdom look when its king is hanging on a cross? Not very. How successful or conquering does a bloody lamb look? Not very. But Jesus breathed his last and shut his eyes for the final time. And the Bible records the sky goes dark and the earth starts to shake because in that moment, death realizes it's not just dealing with the lamb, but it's dealing with the lion that it cannot hold. And the earth starts to shake and the veil over at the temple that once upon a time used to separate the presence of God from the rest of humanity because of the sin problem now no longer had a sin problem and was torn from the top to the very bottom in the presence of God no longer is only in the throne room but now is here with us and lives inside of you because Jesus did not stay dead. The suffering lamb died on Friday for your sin was willingly slain. And then two days later, three days later on Sunday, he conquered the grave and walked out of his tomb. And it's just, the ultimate way to attack anxiety is by focusing on the Prince of Peace. And you now have two very real faces of your King that are here for you to relate to some days I need Jesus as the suffering lamb. Some days I need Jesus as the conquering lion and praise God that he is both. So my challenge to you this week, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for Jesus has overcome the world. My question is what side of that verse will you focus on? Oh, in this world I will have trouble or take heart for my God has overcome this world because what you focus on you magnify and what you magnify you make more of amen guys will you stand we're about to sing this song and it's called lion and if you haven't heard this song yet just get ready the song is so good and if you want to sing with it please by all means there's even a part where you like you roar like a lion um, but if you want to just receive this by all means just receive it and listen to Lyrics about a lion as you watch a backdrop of a lamb who both represent one king.
Jesus Christ. So God, we love you so much. I pray that you would draw near to anybody in here as the suffering lamb who needs that side of you, God. As a a God who knows the full extent of the human experience from the highest of highs to the most painful of lows, would you draw near to those who are mourning or grieving or suffering or with anxious thoughts or depressed or suicidal thoughts or feel like they're crazy and there's no way out of this and it's always gonna be this way. Suffering lamb, would you draw near? And in your time, would you reveal the face of you as the conquering lion who says, I've done everything. And it's time to stand on the promises of my word because peace, joy, and hope are so possible for you, child. As we magnify you, become more real to us today. We join in with 24 thrones and four creatures and 10,000 times 10,000 angels and the rest of creation to the far reaches of the universe, all giving their attention and affection to the throne, to you, God. And we echo, holy is the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.